Nintendo Week is brought to you by Funky's Flights, where your extended family is the only baggage fee. and welcome to Nintendo Week for the end of week of August 3rd through August 9th. I'm your host, Colin McIsaac, and as always, I'm joined by Alex Plant. At least until I get hit with a DMCA copyright notice. And Ben Lamoureux. Download them while you still can. This week, we're going to have some amalgamation of the Game Corner and Tea Table as we discuss the recently released and promptly taken down fan remake of Metroid 2. And then if we've got time afterwards, we're going to take a few questions in our Trainer Tips segment. Uh, but let's get right to it and head to the Game Corner. And here we are at the Game Corner, a segment where we shoot the breeze about games that have just come out, or games that we've been playing lately, etc. So this week we saw the release of AM2R, a fan-made remake of Metroid 2 Return of Samus. Uh, before we get to the tea table to discuss this game in a broader sense of where Nintendo and its community are right now, we're going to pretend for a few minutes like it was never taken down, push those sad feelings aside, and we're going to talk about our experiences with the game itself here in the Game Corner. Um, I know you guys have been playing it a lot. Uh, ben, as our resident Metroid maniac, would you like to do the honors and start us off? So this game was like a sort of dream scenario for me, if I could say that without being too dramatic. Um, <laughs> because, I mean, you guys know I've been just whining for months, if not years, that I need a new 2D Metroid. Oh, it's yeah. just unacceptable oh, yeah. <laughs> that Nintendo hasn't released one in over a decade. Well, luckily someone else released one, right? Yeah. Uh, and I've also never beaten the original Metroid 2 Return of Samus because it's a claustrophobic nightmare where everything looks the same and there's no map. So yeah. uh, to have like this high quality of a fan remake of a game that I haven't... I've played it like halfway through, but I never finished it. So like I said, it was like a dream scenario for me. So I went in with really, really high hopes, and honestly, it exceeded them. Like I was surprised at the high quality of this. That's great. Have you played it much? Um, I haven't. So I... Have a Mac, so the first couple days I couldn't really do anything. Um, but then someone made like a Mac version mm-hmm. uh, that runs natively on on uh, OS X. But I tried to. I mean, I can't deal with a keyboard. I'm not going to do that for a Metroid game. See, not that's possible. my preference. I actually played the whole <laughs> really? game through with the keyboard. I'm weird. Wow. Okay. So I mean, pl- so platformers for some reason I just can't do that. Um, but anyway, so I didn't want to play with a keyboard. I tried playing with just about every controller that I own, and none of them worked, except for finally, I can't remember if it was a DualShock 3 or a DualShock 4, but one of them worked, um, except I could only use the analog stick for walking uh, and aiming and stuff. You can't use the D-pad. And Yeah. yeah, analog stick for that doesn't work. I mean, maybe if it were like a GameCube controller where it's got the divots that lock you into place, it'd be okay. But something that's like a full 360 degree analog and, you know, Samus was just flailing her arms all over the place and I couldn't shoot straight at all. It couldn't play it. I had a similar experience to you at first, Colin, where I was using mm-hmm. my DualShock 4 and yeah, the D-pad doesn't work. And for a while, at least in the very beginning of the game, where you're mostly fighting the smaller, like, alpha Metroids, I was struggling a bit because you your your aim has to kind of be... You have to be aiming at this kind of moving target. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But after a while, like, I, I put the game down for, like, a day, and then I came back to it, and for some reason, like, it just, it just clicked. Um, Interesting. Because I was having the same problem as you, where I was aiming kind of diagonally when I wasn't expecting to, yeah. and... You know, that would have been one of my primary complaints about the game was that there was no D-pad support, and I still would love D-pad support. But uh, I don't know; it didn't it didn't really mar the game so much for me after I got used to it. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So, Alex, what do you think about you know your whole experience with it past the DualShock problems? Yeah, so um, 
I think my experience with Metroid 2 is about on par with Ben's, where I yeah. haven't really played very much of it because of basically the same reasons Ben already stated, where you can't really tell where you're supposed to be going because everything looks the same, and the camera is so zoomed in on Samus that everything really looks the same. You can't even pick out landmarks like right. in the sort of generic sense that they're there. Um, I was actually really impressed by how much AMTR retains the structure that was in place in Metroid 2. Uh, while still adding, you know, new visual flair, while still making the gameplay feel really satisfying for the spaces that they're they're throwing in there, because uh, Metroid Two does have a lot of open rooms, uh, which is in heavy contrast, I think, to games like Super Metroid, which are really packed. Uh, but somehow, uh, Docs made it all work uh, and thrown in some interesting flavor that wasn't present in the original game too, which I've been really appreciating as well. Yeah, I think he did a really good job of adding in like new weapons and equipment and stuff that wasn't around for the original game, while still making it feel like uh, you know part of a cohesive experience. It doesn't really feel like he's, you know, it, it feels it still feels natural and organic. Like it feels like this could have been you know what the original game was if it was bigger and better. Obviously, right. Well, and I think a huge part of that is um, that you know the graphics are just so similar to the Metroid style. The music felt really at home. You know, it felt environmentally and aesthetically just like a very real metroid game so i'd say even game and gameplay and level design well, wise yeah, like the, yeah. the puzzles if i mean you can gameplay call them puzzles, and level design was been, a real metroid game well sure but even the the way that he's executed the puzzles in the game design it's it's it feels very authentic yeah like uh, I've, which I've been i wasn't expecting of- based on that demo I've been playing a lot of Metroid hacks recently, and there's a definite jump in quality from even, like, the most famous Metroid hacks, like Eris or uh, Super Zero Mission and uh, AM2R. Like, it just feels a cut above, uh, you know, any of these other fan projects, which is, like I said, that's that's what really impressed me about it. I was expecting good things, but I still expected this to feel, you know, a little bit like a ROM hack, a little bit like a, right. a typical fan project, but, I mean... For the most part, I, I ran into some a few glitches here and there, but for the most part, it was very polished, and the level design was top notch. There was you know interesting puzzles, rooms where you gotta you know figure out how to chain uh, speed boosts and shine sparks to get hidden items and things like that. Nice. Just top quality Metroid content. Yeah. Did either of you guys finish it? Yeah, I actually just finished it uh, a couple hours ago. I okay, was great. very <laughs> close to the end, like two days ago, and I got up to my first Omega Metroid, and it just repeatedly kicked my oh! So I stopped playing for a day, and then I went back to it uh, fresh today, just a few hours ago, and I beat the, the Omega Metroid first try, and then just proceeded to tear through the rest of the game. So Cool. Okay. Yeah, I'm not really stuck because I could keep playing if I wanted to, but I got hit with the uh, gravity suit invisibility glitch. Mm. What's that? So it, it, on some machines, apparently, when you get the gravity suit, your character becomes invisible oh. inexplicably. Interesting. And it just feels like it feels so wrong to finish the game that way. And so I'm going to wait yeah. for it. It sounds like he's, he's still going to try to make a patch for that. And I'll just wait for that. I really enjoyed my time with it so far, so it doesn't really mar the experience at all for me because you know it's a it's, it's a little PC fan game. I can expect it to have a few glitches, but right, exactly. But I'm not done, so I can't tell you how it ends. I ran into a couple glitches, but luckily I avoided that one. That's I think the the famous one that everyone's talking about at this point. But I guess you can actually just uh, if you switch back to various suit then your, your yeah. sprite will reappear but then that yeah just, obviously anytime you actually need to use gravity suit you got to switch back to it and then you go invisible right. again and it's just a pain well yeah. and, and then plus you'd lose the you, you what do you get like a, a defense boost from gravity suit as well don't you so, yeah 
Yeah. I'd be really interested to see how they could implement invisibility into uh, either like a future build of this game or a future Metroid game, because that sounds like exactly the kind of glitch. I mean, Nintendo is famous for having glitches in their games and then turning them into very real power-ups. Like, the mm-hmm. Double Cherry was just a mistake in 3D World, and then it was one of the coolest things that was in the entire game. So I, I feel like that's really interesting potential for an invisibility suit in Metroid. It's funny that you say that because the the nature of the area where you find the gravity suit, I almost thought it was intentional at first. Really? Mm-hmm. That's funny. I know I won't spoil it for people who haven't played, but there's a mechanic that they introduced to that area that made me th- made it seem like it was almost intentional. And, you know, when you consider that Zero Mission had the whole uh, stealth mission to it and everything like that, the idea of an invisibility suit really could be used well. Yeah. Uh, ultimate thoughts? This is probably a better remake of Metroid 2 than Zero Mission was of the original Metroid. Really? Um, And I say that just because I feel like, uh, aside from gameplay improvements, I think it actually improved on the content of the game. Okay. Whereas Zero Mission watered down the game, I think, a little bit too much. I know the original Metroid is seen by some as obtuse, but a lot of its problems could be solved just by adding a save system and not having you start with zero health every time you die. Mm-hmm. Or 30 health or whatever. <laughs> right. But uh, Metroid 2's problems were more baked into the game design and the way that the, the game was rendered. Uh, I don't think the original Metroid had those problems, and I don't think Zero Mission... I think Zero Mission went too far in trying to solve its problems. Whereas Metroid 2, this AM2R remake, uh, just totally enriches the experience. doesn't take yeah, it Yeah, I would away. say it's, it's a more faithful remake just because Zero Mission sort of holds your hand a little bit by constantly putting markers on your map to let you know yeah, where uh, exactly. places of interest are. Whereas AM2R is it's a it's a more faithful recreation of the original experience. I mean, it gives you a map, but it doesn't tell you where to go. Yeah, yeah. sure, yeah. right, right. And I think a lot of Metroid 2's problems too are just the fact that it's a Game Boy game. Samus is so big on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, yeah. Game Boy really was not good hardware to release a Metroid game on, and so in that way, a bigger screen like this lets the level design actually sort of you can see what you're doing. So just by the simple nature of that change alone. Um, you know, it's just a much easier, better game. Yeah. Well, it sounds like we're uh, wrapping it up on uh, playing the game itself, so let's take it to the tea table and talk about uh, what Nintendo's done recently. Here we are at the tea table, the show's classic discussion segment where we share our long-form thoughts on a specific subject, whether it's recent news or something in Nintendo's past, something about their games, whatever it may be. And now we're going to talk more about this fan-made Metroid 2 remake because, lo and behold, it has been taken down. Uh, We don't know that Nintendo's behind it, although who else would it be? But nevertheless, this is worth discussing in detail. I, I think we, we pretty much do know at this point, because uh, Metroid Database, they actually contacted the law firm that sent them the uh, the email. Oh, that's and right. They said it's yeah. all legitimate. So. Yeah, that's right. I wrote that a day or two ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so it's almost certainly Nintendo. Um, do you guys, you know, hot takes, anything to say about this? I mean, it's not surprising, but it's really disheartening. Yeah, yeah. I, I think... Th- the thing that gets me is, well, this is probably the clearest cut case of a legitimate, like, this can't possibly be fair use sort of uh, right. move, because this is straight up a remake of a game that they're currently selling. Right. Um, On 3DS eShop, just so listeners are clear. Yes. Uh, no colors, sadly. And that would have been nice. I think this game had Super Game Boy colors, if I'm not mistaken. Um, anyway, the thing that's disheartening about it is that this is basically the thing Nintendo did for Metroid's 30th anniversary, was they took down yeah. M2R. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, 
they're not even running like any eShop sales or anything, which I mean, come the f*** on. You can't discount your games by 30% on Metroid's anniversary. I mean, they're all there anyway. Mm -hmm. They're going to wait the three years until they make Metroid Prime 4. Then they'll, then they'll, then they'll discount. Rant aside, I mean, what they're saying here on the anniversary is you're only allowed to celebrate Metroid's 30th anniversary on our terms. Also, our terms are we're not celebrating it. Seems like a good deal. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Federation Force is not a Metroid game. I want to get that out of the way. Anyone's going to comment and say, well, no, you can buy Federation Force. It's not the same. It's just not. It's a team-based, like, it's not what Metroid fans want. Not even close. And we've beaten that dead horse a million times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, like, yeah, Alex, you know, you're totally right. Like, this is not even close to fair use. Like, this is absolutely copyright infringement. And Nintendo's absolutely, like... I mean, I don't want to say right to stomp it out, but they're certainly well within their rights. And they're certainly, like, they have an obligation to protect their IP. That's not disputable. I mean, it's a sad, unfortunate truth, but it's mm -hmm. the truth. But the real thing that, that gets me is that when anything like this blows up, it doesn't mean that fans are skeezy or ungrateful. What it means is that Nintendo is underserving their own market. Mm-hmm, definitely. Because let's get some perspective here. If this game came out five years ago... Nobody would have cared. The series was pretty healthy, and Metroid 2 is this dinky old Game Boy game that even now most people have forgotten about. I, but, I think you actually mean like seven years ago before Other M, but I'll allow it. It was relatively healthy. People expected a new Metroid game on Wii U. I mean, yeah, sure, sure. Semantics aside, you know, we look ahead to now, 2016, and what the success of this project signals is that fans want Metroid. You've kept them waiting for so long that they're willing to settle for a knockoff that would have never interested them otherwise. And let's be very clear. What's hurting Nintendo's business here is not some guy at the computer modding a Game Boy game. It's their own unwillingness to participate in a market that they created and that they alone can legally serve. Yeah. Um, Zero Mission came out like over a decade ago, and you would have thought that the natural next step from Zero Mission would have at least been a similar remake of Metroid 2. Mm -hmm. But uh, a guy has had ten more than 10 years since then to make his own, so... I mean, yeah, I totally agree. first of all, doing this on their own terms would have been so easy for Nintendo. Yeah, it really would have. I, I don't know. Like, that's just a project that, that <laughs> they could have put I can't 50 see people why on they this, haven't... and it would have been fine, and they would have they probably gotten... They could have put gotten... 10, and it would have been okay. Yeah, like, they would have probably gotten vaguely similar results. I mean, I've, certainly I love what the work that Doc has done, and I don't think they would have matched it exactly, but at least we it would have been an authentic Metroid 2 remake. Right, right. And, and obviously they have the right to shut this down, but that doesn't make it right. And it certainly doesn't make it smart. Like, I do think that people shouldn't be infringing copyrights and emulating games and stuff like that in the first place, at least to some degree. But when something like this comes up, where there's this incredible project someone's poured years of their life into and tons of people are popping up in support of it, the solution isn't to squash it dead. The solution should be one to admit that it's time to make a real Metroid game and get to work there, but two, to reach out to this guy and offer the project some sort of legitimacy. Like, Sega does that, Capcom does that. Uh, like, sure, it's harder to do that than to just shut the whole thing down, but you had the opportunity to monetize this project 
and take all the credit for it when you had nothing to do with it. And instead, they've more or less destroyed the last bit of goodwill that Metroid fans may have had. I mean, yeah, yeah like, that's... <laughs> it, it's a really very binary decision here. Like, this, I mean, this game came out on the anniversary. This is how a lot of people were celebrating Metroid's anniversary, and Nintendo said, no, you can't do this. We're not going to give you anything, including, you know, your own little internal celebration within the metroid community i mean that's just it's not right it's you shouldn't do that to your fans well this is 2016 the year when nintendo kicks ass so <laughs> yeah but who's hope for a better 2017 yeah i mean i mean i'm sure that 2017 is going to be a lot better than this and uh, you know this whole discussion exists purely because it's it's 2016 and there's nothing else going on i mean yeah back to the point that if nintendo were actually serving its own market you know people wouldn't care about this at all but fans are getting desperate and when they go to something that they wouldn't otherwise settle for and then you take that away from them i mean that hurts yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping that something good can come out of this whole situation, because it's just, it's shown how much support there still is among the hardcore mm-hmm. fans for a true Metroid uh, 2D experience, which we haven't had since 2004. And, you know, a few years ago, Shigeru Miyamoto did that poll through Kotaku, where he asked the readers to vote on what franchise they most wanted on Wii U, and Metroid won by a freaking landslide. So, I know the series isn't, like, a huge seller or anything, but there's clearly strong support for both 3D and 2D Metroid games Mm -hmm. and instead well you know we've like alex said we've been beating the dead horse but instead we're getting federation force and nintendo is shutting down these 2d projects and it just it really seems like they're ignoring a pretty strong and vocal community right and i mean with the state of game development today i mean i don't want to say that game development is easy but there are so many different sources that they can go to to get a Metroid game where they don't even really need to do much work at all. Like, you can go to the people who developed Guacamelee. Next Level Games pitched that Metroid concept for 3DS. Way uh, Forward has said that they want to make one. Right. I mean, uh, the Yacht Club Games has talked about making a Metroid-style game. Yep. I mean, there are so many different small studios that can make something, you know, a budget title that's $30 tops, And, you know, gives the experience of, like, a Metroid game from between Super and, like, Fusion or Zero Mission um, that's not the same kind of massive, you know, HD game that a Metroid Prime 4 would be. That's something that's a lot cheaper, a lot easier to develop, and makes people just as happy. And... You know, hopefully they've seen this support now and they're having internal conversations about the Metroid series and what to do. And hopefully the conclusions they reach are similar to this one. But I don't see why there's any reason they wouldn't at least have some kind of outreach there. Even if they don't talk to an indie team, if they talk to their own internal EAD developers, like they're making so many budget eShop titles. Why can't one of them be Metroid? That's something people are actually going to like, unlike Dylan's Rolling Western. Absolutely. Well, they say all the time that they don't know what to do with Metroid, <laughs> and I think the answer is easy, because if you look back at the reason why they created the original Metroid game, it was because they needed a game for that was really challenging for the really experienced players. And that's what Metroid should be today. You shouldn't be thinking, worrying about uh, expanding it to this wider audience that yeah. plays team shooters. You shouldn't be worrying about making it have Space Marines at the center of its uh story like that has nothing to do with what metroid is which is this sort of weird alien 
universe with weird alien creatures where experienced players can die a lot and shoot things like that's all you need for a metro that's all you, that's all you need to think about when it comes to metroid that's yeah, what you need I mean, to do they're 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 overthinking it and underthinking it at the same time in a really weird way <laughs> um and you know none of this is to say that nintendo has already made their mistake i mean we don't know what they're doing inside their development teams we don't know what they're doing you know with metroid on nx for all we know there could be metroid prime 4 within the first year of that system's launch i mean it's unlikely but who knows well i mean you look at what happened with with 3ds and wii u and it's very clear that after sort of wii u started struggling at first they backed off on a lot of the really ambitious ideas they might have had seems right, very obvious right. at this point but my point though is that you know despite the unfortunate timing the maybe bad judgment about this particular decision to cease and desist copyright infringement here you know hopefully it does mean good things for the metroid franchise um and hopefully it it's because they've got their own things planned that they don't want to talk about yet um i'm kind of skeptical that it is but you know there is always a silver lining well, if rumors are true, maybe we'll hear something in another month or so when they announce NX. Yeah. Well, uh, with that, should we head over to trainer tips? It sounds like we're um... I'm ready to give people some tips. All right. Here we are with trainer tips, an advice segment on the show where we read emails from re- listeners like you. When you're having trouble navigating the cold, hard world of gaming, we offer you our incredulous insights. So, first up, Francis Finnegan says, I recently picked up a new 3DS. It's my first DS of any kind, and I'm faced with a mountain of good games. So he wants us to pick three games, either for DS or 3DS, for him to play. Um, So I thought it'd be fun if we each go around with one suggestion. And uh, for reference, he already has A Link Between Worlds, Majora's Mask 3D, Phantom Hourglass, Tales of the Abyss, and Kirby Triple Deluxe. Um, Alex, do you want to start us off? Uh, My suggestion for you for 3DS... Because I'll go with 3DS, would be Fire Emblem Awakening. That is a very good choice. And the reason why I'm suggesting Fire Emblem Awakening is because it's a really fun sort of time waster game. Uh, I've spent a lot of time playing it kind of like I do chess, um, where you'll get a lot of it. I think you'll get a lot of enjoyment out of uh, sort of the mission structure, and it's a great portable game to take on the go. Um, and. I don't know. I'm not usually into real-time, or I'm sorry, turn-based strategy games with with the grid movement, but uh, this one really struck a, struck a chord with me. Cool, cool. Yeah, I mean, that's a great suggestion. Fire Emblem's always fun, and Awakening is, I think, one of the easiest for beginners to access, so good choice. Uh, ben? So, I've been kind of on a uh, 16-bit kick. I mean, I pretty much have been my entire life, but um, especially in the last few weeks, I've been going back and replaying a lot of old classics including Chrono Trigger. I knew it. Oh, freaking knew it. So Chrono Trigger was remade for DS, and it was a really, really good job. With uh, It's got some, what does it have, like the PlayStation cutscenes were at it, I believe? I think so, yeah. Uh, It's been a while since I've played the DS version, but it's one of the greatest RPGs of all time. It's got really great length, especially for the time. Uh, A really fun and interesting combat system. Characters that are pretty cool and a really intriguing story. So if you haven't played Chrono Trigger yet, absolutely pick it up for DS. Yeah, I mean, its legacy, I think, speaks for itself. It's revered as probably the greatest RPG of all time, so, you know, absolutely do it. Um, My recommendation... um, I've got to think about this a little, because I think I was going to say Fire Emblem Awakening. Um, (laughs) But... uh, if we're, I, 
I want to keep it on 3DS because that's more modern, but, you know, DS is fantastic. Uh, whichever you go with, you got to get a Pokemon game. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, if this is your first... Uh, you said it's your first DS of any kind. I don't know if it's your first portable system of any kind, um, but especially if you haven't played like Game Boy Advance or old Game Boy Pokemon games, you gotta try the new ones. Um, I would go with Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire because I think all of their successes are Gen 3's successes and all of their failures, uh, of which there are not very many, are X and Y's failures. So I think on the whole, Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire is a much better experience than X and Y. But, uh, you you know, you can also always wait for Sun and Moon. You could go back and play Heart, Gold, and Soul Silver, which I think are the best Pokemon games to date. Yes, um, agreed. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, what more is there to say besides it's Pokemon? <laughs> Mayor Dump asks, Because the past and current year has been so dry for new Nintendo releases, I've been focusing on Nintendo's past and experiencing some great games I never got the chance to before. A quick interjection there, Mayor Dump, if that is your real name. Um... <laughs> Good idea. I've been doing something very similar. Um, Anyway, I'm mainly collecting games for SNES and GameCube. What games would you recommend for either system? Uh, We actually did a GameCube recommendation a few weeks ago in Trainer Tips, so you can go back and check that out for GameCube games, because, you know, I'm sure we'll just repeat ourselves otherwise. But uh, as for SNES, you guys got some recommendations? Alex? Um, So I'm kind of a huge Disney file, so I totally suggest the the Disney games that Capcom made for Super Nintendo, mainly Aladdin and The Lion King, I think was also Capcom. Uh, a lot of people say they prefer the Genesis version of Aladdin, but I am definitely an advocate for the Super Nintendo version. It feels very much like a sort of classic platformer, uh, so you might enjoy it for that reason alone. Um, it's not like the best game in the world, but it's still a really fun uh, trip back into the, the a time when, when Disney games were good. Yeah. So those, And I, I played them a lot as a kid, so uh, those are definitely my suggestion. Great. Very interesting. I, I would have expected something more, you know, Nintendo-oriented, but that's that's a really good choice, especially, you know, as a collector. Exactly. Those are big games. That was a big moment for that era, so. Right. Yeah, and I, and I was tempted to pick something Nintendo-y as well, but if someone's already yeah. collecting, I kind of expect them to have the big picks. Right. Uh, ben? I've got a, a handful of uh, Super Nintendo recommendations here. Like I said, it's the 16-bit era. is just... Yeah. I love it. Ugh, love it so much. Uh, <laughs> so Mega Man X is just an outstanding action platformer. I've mm-hmm. beaten it more times than I can count. It's honestly one of my favorite sort of just de-stressor games because I've played it enough that I can just tear through it in about an hour or so. So it's a game I could just sit down and have fun with. Uh, yeah. Earthbound, fantastic game. Always a classic. It's right up there Definitely. with Chrono Trigger for... My, my favorite RPG of all time, and so of if course, you can get that for a reasonable price, though on Super Nintendo, yeah, that's the um, big thing. If you're a if you're a collector and you want a physical copy, I mean, if you're really a hardcore collector, go for it. But it's yeah. it's really expensive. It usually runs like a hundred dollars or more on eBay. There was a store in my town a few years ago selling copies for eighty dollars, but it, they closed down eventually. So yeah, I mean, and if if you're really talking more about going back into Nintendo's past and experiencing the games themselves, um, if that's what you care about, then you can pick up Earthbound for. Eight bucks on the virtual console yeah. on new 3ds or on wii u and that's the much better choice as much as i love uh physical hardware and collecting but um if super nintendo collecting is what you're after then earthbound is a really valuable addition to the collection um but you know it, it just kind of depends where you want to strike the balance of of collecting physical media versus actually putting your money down for the experience of the games that you're playing right uh, and then, uh, hopefully, if you're a Nintendo fan, you've played A Link to the Past, because I honestly think that is oh, yeah. 
the best 2D Zelda, if not the best Zelda overall, and just a absolutely important gaming experience that you can't miss out on if you're a Nintendo fan. Definitely. And then just a couple more, Super Mario World and Super Metroid, which I think are both games that built on everything that their franchises had done on the NES and just made them bigger and more user-friendly and more fun. So, great, great choices. Yeah, I would say that that's really the, like, the holy trinity of Super Nintendo games there is... Um... Mario World, Link to the Past, and Super Metroid. At least mm-hmm. Nintendo made uh, Super Nintendo games. Uh, Chrono Trigger is another great Super Nintendo option if that's you want to try it there. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I really don't have anything else to add besides probably Donkey Kong Country One and Two. Um, I would say those are the the biggest ones you got to check out besides what's already been mentioned. Um, we've talked at length about those games on the in the past, so I won't repeat ourselves. But you know great games i guess i'll chip in one more that i'm surprised neither of you mentioned which is super mario rpg i was actually oh, thinking that's about another that. great one uh as well as final fantasy 3 which is six uh in the actual <laughs> numbering scheme yeah uh, that, that's an also a really great game uh really great rpgs yeah cool cool uh and finally i think we'll uh, end the show here joe brick yo-yo asks I'm sure this has been talked about before to some degree but i just started playing zelda games for the first time Great question, because we were all huge Zelda fans. Yes. I played Ocarina on 3DS and just started Wind Waker. I was wondering what 3D Zelda I should play next. This is a big can of worms here. Uh, we'll, try to, we'll try to contain ourselves, but uh, do you guys have any strong opinions, either of you? I mean, it helps that there are only, like, three other 3D Zelda games. Yeah. But, uh... <laughs> we can each name one and call it a day. Um, he started Wind Waker. Yes. We don't know how he feels about it. So, that said, I would suggest Majora's Mask 3D. Um, It's Mm. a very similar experience to Ocarina of Time from a gameplay perspective, but a very different experience from the rest of the Zelda games you'll play because of the way that the game is structured. Yep. Um, Very sort of character story focused, which is a a big departure, I think, from from most of the other Zelda games that you'll play. Um, The dungeon play is still pretty great. Uh, The world is really interesting to kind of figure out all the secrets in um the masks are are fun in particular the transformation masks and it's just this like really weird and interesting and uh just uh, it's it's a world that i totally fell in love with the first time i played the game and i had fallen in love with hyrule field and and hyrule before that so that that's that's a really impressive feat i love clock town it's one of my favorite environments in any video game so yeah Yeah. i definitely nominate majora's mask yeah um majora's mask isn't uh I wouldn't say it's one of my favorite Zelda games, period, but as far as 3D Zelda games go, if you're going to play one next, I definitely would go with Majora's Mask for all the reasons Zelda, uh, Alex said, not Zelda. Um, <laughs> and especially if you've already played Ocarina, and I, you may have beaten Wind Waker by now, but I think those are really the two quintessential interpretations of Hyrule and the sort of the gameplay of Zelda, whereas Twilight Princess is a little too similar to Ocarina of Time, um, and doesn't deviate as much as Majora's Mask does. So, you know, for that reason, I would say Majora's Mask should go next because it's a much bigger departure, um, whereas Twilight Princess is sort of an amalgamation of the kinds of experiences you'll have in Ocarina and Majora's Mask. It's kind of like a middle ground. Um, and Skyward Sword, it's good, but it's just not... It it's doesn't not the one I'd recommend. Yeah, right. Yep, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to side with you guys and also say Majora's Mask is the best, the best next choice to play. Alex pretty much hit it on the head. Uh, one thing I think is really great about it is because it recycles 
the graphics engine and the controls and whatnot from Ocarina of Time, but puts you in a completely new place with a new plot and new gameplay focus, uh, like Alex said, on, on individual characters and their stories and such. It sort of has this bizarro, dark fairy tale feel to it, where you're seeing familiar yeah. faces in a really different place and doing really different things than, than what you're used to. So it doesn't feel as much like a core Zelda experience as some of the other ones, but I, it, just as a game, it's it's absolutely fantastic. If, you, if you're going into it expecting the exact same experience as like an Ocarina of Time, it's going to be very different. But it's it's a good kind of different, I think. It's It was a bizarre and strange sort of risky move by Nintendo. And I think it paid it off really, really well. It's a fantastic game. And then, like Colin said, Twilight Princess, you know, it, it feels a lot like Ocarina of Time, but just sort of bigger and, and prettied up a little bit. I, I think it has maybe the least sort of original, fresh feel to it of any 3D Zelda or possibly any Zelda uh, at all. It's not a bad game by any means, though. Right. If you really liked Ocarina of Time, you will probably really like Twilight Princess 2. It'll just sort of feel like a, a bigger, expanded version of it, whereas Majora's Mask is going to feel like a, a new experience with sort of some familiar elements. Right, and Twilight Princess is definitely unique as a Zelda game, but it's... it's um... You know, as far as what you've already experienced versus what you have yet to experience, Mojuro's Mask, I think, is the best next step. Um, what you said about it being a fairy tale is really interesting, Ben, because I've always kind of thought of Ocarina of Time as, like, the perfect, you know, bright, beautiful fairy tale mm-hmm. of the Zelda world, whereas uh, Mojuro's Mask is, like, Link's beautiful, dark, twisted fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess if you look at Ocarina of Time as, like, the quintessential hero story, Mojuro's Mask is more like the... Uh, I guess doomsday apocalyptic counterpart to that, where this hero may succeed or he may doom a bunch of worlds as he goes along. <laughs> uh, yeah. You don't know. Yeah. They never tell you. Yeah. Um, now, I will say, though, we've all suggested Majora's Mask, but what I'd really like to suggest to you is Breath of the Wild. But Yeah, yeah well, yeah. <laughs> but that's still seven uh, if, months off. If you can more. wait until then, then yeah. I suppose that's next. But I'm assuming you asked it now because you want to know now. So. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, everybody, thank you all so much for listening. This is the Endo Nintendo Week for today. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or subscribe to us on YouTube at Gamnesia TV for bite-sized discussions from the show. And please head to iTunes to leave us a review. We're really working hard to make this show great for you guys, so those reviews really mean a lot, and they also help a lot of listeners discover the show. So if you haven't done that, please do. We're at 73 right now. Let's try to get to 75 by next week, uh, hopefully even further if more than two of you want to chip in. Uh, greatly, greatly appreciate it. I can't say enough uh, how important those reviews are um, for supporting the show. If you have feedback for Nintendo Week, please send it to Colin at Gamnesia.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Colin McIsaac. That's C-O-L-I-N at G-A-M-N-E-S-I-A, or at C-O-L-I-N-M-C-I-S-A-A-C. And remember to send in your questions about Nintendo, about our show. We love engaging with you guys, and we read them and talk about them here on the show, just like we did in Trainer Tips, so it's a great way to get involved. Um, again, that's Colin at Gamnesia.com and at Colin McIsaac. Alex, where can they find you? You can also find me on Twitter at Legend of Lex. And Ben, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Aramgard. That's E-R-I-M-G-A-R-D. And also, I'm going to try to join up with the Gamnesia streaming team a little more regularly going forward. So at least this Thursday, you'll be able to catch me uh, joining the stream team. We're going to be playing another Metroid 2 remake, actually, uh, at 7.30 Eastern on Thursday. Awesome. 
If you can't wait till next week for more of our stuff, you can head to Gamnesia.com to see more gaming news as it happens. We got Sony, Microsoft, Indie, you name it, and Nintendo news that we didn't have the time to discuss on this week's show. And you can join in the Facebook group, the Nintendo Week Fun Club. Look that up in your little Facebook search bar. There you can chat with us and other listeners about all things Nintendo. On our way out, please enjoy Dancing in the Jungle, a funky remix of Super Metroid's Upper Brinstar theme by Cyril the Wolf. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have another great week. 